This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. Handed out the same outline we gave you last week. We're following that timeline of David's life. And as you can see, we started at the beginning where he was anointed king at a very young age by Samuel. And then we moved on down to where he killed Goliath, the Philistine. And then he was a musician for King Saul, playing the harp, very skilled at playing the harp and bringing some peace to King Saul during that time. And so we see all those things that have happened there and we kind of gave you that, that area there where he was going to be ruling as king and uh, just a short term, Ishbosheth reigned only two years, King Saul's son, and he was murdered. And of course, all of that fit into God's plan because David knew that he was going to be king. He didn't, he didn't push the fact of that. He, I don't believe he ever threw that in Saul's face and said, hey, you know, I'm going to be in your shoes very soon. But he just waited until it was time for that to take place. And so, uh, probably around the area of 37, 38 years old, he's made king over Israel. And he done some great things and uh, conquers Jerusalem. He also, we talked about last week, about the Ark of the Covenant. And that was not in Jerusalem at the time. And so he brought that back there. And uh, so we see all of that taking place, and we had a good study about the ark and how important that was uh, to God. Tonight's going to be a good one for you. It's very interesting. You know, I wonder what David is known for. What do people remember David for? Do they remember him uh, for killing Goliath? Or do they remember him for a great sin that he did? You know, I kind of thought about that Maybe sometimes maybe we even feel like no matter how many good things we do, if we mess up just one time, somebody's going to remember that, aren't they? They're going to be sure to mark that down. So I kind of was looking at the lesson and studying about it, and uh, I almost could have titled it, Be Sure Your Sin Will Find You Out. But we certainly will get to that in the lessons of the life of David. Uh, I read a, an interesting little note that I pass along to you tonight before we get started into it. A young couple was on their honeymoon and the husband was sitting in the bathroom on the edge of the bathtub and he was saying to himself, now how can I tell my wife I got really smelly feet and that my socks absolutely stink? How can I tell her that? And he says, I've managed to keep it from her while we were dating, but she's bound to find out sooner or later that my feet stink. How can I tell her? Meanwhile, the wife is sitting on the edge of the bed, and she's saying, how can I tell my husband I got really bad breath? I've been very lucky to keep it from him for a while while we were dating, but as soon as he lives with me for a while, a week or so, he's bound to find out that I've got bad breath and I, I don't know how to tell him gently. 
So finally, the husband plucks up enough courage to come out of the bathroom and get in there to the bedroom and tell his wife about his stinky feet. He walks over to the bed. He climbs over real close next to his wife, puts his arm around her neck, moves his face very close to hers, and says, Darling, I have a confession to make. And she says, So have I, my love. To which he replies, Don't tell me you've eaten my socks. <laughs> well, it's all going to come out in the end, isn't it? Bad breath and stinky feet. Well, I'll tell you something about David. You know, we've been studying him and David's been pretty good so far. David's made some wise decisions. He's done some incredible things. David's been through a lot. But the things that were going in David's life we're not going to continue down that good, right path. You know, David had been in wars. He had destroyed a lot of enemies. He had been building his kingdom. He set some great examples for others to follow. In fact, we've heard some great lessons for ourselves out of what David has done. But King David is getting ready to mess up big time. Aren't you glad we never mess up big time? <laughs> But David is an example to us of what happens when we let our guard down. David put himself in the wrong paths. It began with adultery, and he just continued down that road. I know this, we are all tempted many times. So how do we avoid those temptations? How do we not fall into sin? It's a hard thing many times for us to live that straight and narrow path and always do the right thing. Sooner or later, things will happen sometimes in our life. But we're going to take a real close look at chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11 will begin at verse number 1. Very important that you realize some of the wordings that we see in these in this chapter here. It came to pass after the year was expired. Notice this, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbath. But notice this, David tarried still at Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but I have some questions for David in that verse. Why did David not go to war? He was a king. The kings at this particular time, which was in the spring, the kings went off to war. So David has been going to war for years. There wasn't nothing new to him. He knew when it, when it was time for him to go to war. But what made it different this time? Why did he make the decision to stay home? And I begin to think about that. And I think there's different thoughts of why, maybe, that he came to that decision to stay home. <clears throat> and we all know it was a bad decision. 
And it's a bad decision. So I wonder, did David not go off to war because he was now getting a little old? And he felt like at this point in my life, David was around 50 years old. And he's thinking, at this point, I, I, I don't need to go off to war. I've got men that fight for me. So maybe he, he was not interested in going to fight. And I began to think about that even as a lesson for us. You know what? I don't care how old we get, how long we've been serving the Lord, we're never too old to still do something for God. I believe He can use every one of us. But I've heard people say that. I've heard people use that, that answer. Well, you know, I used to do this and I used to do that, but you know, I haven't got to the age where, you know, I just, I just don't do those things no more. I mean, I've decided to just sit back and take it easy and, and not do anything else. But I, I'm thankful for folks that are up in age and still serving the Lord. Still looking for something that they can do for God. Yes, physically, we, we may not be able to do the things we were when we were younger. No doubt about that. But there are always something around us. Something that we can do that's simple and easy that for us to do that would make a difference in someone else's life. So it is very important. And one thing we always say, we can all pray, amen? We can all pray. Even if you're laying on your back, you can pray. So we do need to all continue to be busy doing something for the Lord. So I don't know. Maybe David felt like, hey, I'm just getting a little old here and I'm just not going to do that anymore. I wonder also, did David not go just because he was getting tired? Tired. David had been fighting for a long time. He was tired, I'm sure. He probably had no interest in putting his body through everything that involves going to war. You got you to realize back in this day and time, it was quite a chore to go out and go to war. Put on all that armor do everything that they were doing, how they got there, whatever they had to continue to do to fight in the battle. Oh, I'm sure it was much easier to stay in the comfort of the palace than it was to go out and fight. Fight during the day, fight during the night. Had to stay in tents or maybe a cave. It, it wasn't a pleasant thing to go and do, but David... I don't know, maybe he was thinking about all those things and said, hey, I'm just not going this time. I'm going to stay here at home. So, you know, even as we get older, we can also just get tired. A lot of people just, you know, we get wore out with all the things like I mentioned at the beginning of the service tonight. We, we get to a point where we're just tired. I don't feel like doing anything. I don't feel like making any more calls to people. I don't feel like praying for somebody or trying to be encouraging to somebody. I just, I'm just tired. I don't feel like going to church. We can come up with all those things. And I, and I think that we need to stop and realize, hey, that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to just quit on God and not continue to do something for Him. 
Did David not go because he was getting spoiled? <laughs> I mean, he's King David now. David had it good. Saul wasn't, wasn't after him anymore. He was living a life of luxury. He had others to do the fighting for him. You know, I'm afraid today, once again, we live in a nation where a lot of people are very spoiled about what we do anymore. We got so many things right out of our hand, right out of our fingertips, snap just like that. It's there. And we kind of get in that mindset where we don't have to really get down to business with God. And you know, I think I kind of spills over sometimes spiritually. We feel like God should just answer just like that for us. But many times He says with prayer and supplication that your requests be made known to God. With prayer and fasting, different things that really require us to do more than just sit back. So it is very important. Let's look at verse 2. It came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look at. Had he done anything wrong at this point? He's just he's out there walking on his roof and he sees a woman very beautiful to look at. But he didn't turn away from that. David got up from his bed, it said, and was walking around the roof. At that point, he had done nothing wrong, but then he noticed the woman bathing, and instead of walking away, instead of going back to bed, he stared long enough to notice how beautiful she was. David proved that the second look got him in trouble. Many times that second look will get us in trouble again. Going the second, continuing to go down that path. So look what he did in verse 3. David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, It is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. It's important to realize who she was. And David wasn't dumb. I guarantee you. He knew, especially when he was told, he knew who, who this woman was, how important this woman was and what he was doing and getting ready to do at this point. Why in the world did he inquire about her? David should have stopped, but he would not. And when he found out she was a woman of prestige because her grandfather, Antiphel, is one of David's closest advisors. And he know, he'll know that. Her husband Uriah was number one, David's top-ranked soldier. So you take all those things into consideration, David should have said, whoa, wait a minute now. I'm, that, this is not right. I mean, Uriah's my man here, my main man. And the grandfather of her is somebody very important as well. So instead of saying no because of who she is, he decided 
that she was going to be a trophy to be won by him. Look at verse 4. David sent messengers and took her. She came unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Why did David go down that path? Why did he take Bathsheba? And I want you to think about some interesting opinions that I never really thought about. And not necessarily opinions are not necessarily true, but just think about it. A lot of folks that study this passage, some of the scholars say that Bathsheba knew what she was doing. She knew David was watching her. No doubt you could see from rooftop to rooftop very easily in the way those buildings are set up. Set up. Now, she knows her husband's at war. She knew the king would be at home and looking down on her. There are others who believe that David actually summoned her, and when he did that, she had no choice. When you're summoned by the king, you have to come. So we may sit back and say, well, she didn't, she didn't need to come. She didn't have to go over there. But when you're summoned by the king, so it does make sense that she maybe had to go but once she got there, she could have realized, hey, I'm in the wrong place here. David's got the wrong thing in mind here. I'm going back home. But David really basically raped her, even a woman of influence, and did not have much to say so. She didn't have much say so about it. So there are some who believe that there, there is some truth to each of those things, and it may be and it may not. Maybe did Bathsheba look and say, oh yeah, the king's looking at me. I'm going to do my thing here. And of course, being sent over and being with him. What I do know is this, regardless of whether that's true or not, David did not have the right to do what he did. Just because he's king, he didn't have that right. He could have said no to his fleshly desires. But David committed adultery with Bathsheba. She became pregnant. And when she figured out that she was pregnant, <laughs> she told David she was pregnant. She wanted David to know, hey, you got a problem now, buddy. It ain't showed up yet, but it's going to show up. And so... That child would not be Uriah's. I thought about a scripture. Look at Matthew 5.28 and what it says here. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery in her heart with her already in his heart. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Real strong that looketh on a woman to lust after her. David definitely took that look and lust. He had committed it in his heart and he went on and did it physically as well. But of course, it gets worse, don't it? Verse 6, David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Send me her husband. 
And Joab sent Uriah to David. When David was, when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war was probably. He's making small talk, didn't he? So how you doing, Uriah? How's the war going? How's everything shaping up? And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So David's mind's working in it. He's figuring, oh yeah, I can get this thing straightened out. I'll just send Uriah on back down there to his house. And he does that. David knew that Bathsheba was pregnant and that under the law, punishment for adultery was death by stoning. And he's the king. So instead of admitting what he had done, he just continued the sin. So he comes up with a plan to deceive everyone about who the father of the baby is going to be. And now news that you watch on on uh, at nighttime or the morning or whatever, there's a thing called changing the narrative. That's when you make the story to fit the outcome. It happens all the time. And David had Uriah brought from the battlefield and he asked him how things were going. Then he told him to go home and stay with his wife for the night. Uriah had not seen his wife for a while. He had been off to war for I don't know how long. So it seemed like a perfect plan, but unfortunately, David, for David, Uriah was a man of integrity and he was a man of principles. Look at verse 9. Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said to Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didn't thou go down unto thy house? And listen to what Uriah said. This is a type of man that he is. Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, my lord Joab, the servants of my Lord, they're all encamped out there in the open fields. How shall I go down into mine house and eat and drink and lie with my wife as thou livest and as thou soul liveth? I will not do this thing. No way am I going to go relaxing with my wife knowing my, my, my buddies are out there fighting in that battle. And that's very important for what's going on for Israel out there. I can't go back down there and relax about this. Boy, that didn't figure into David's plan, did it? So that's what happens when you're changing the narrative and it doesn't work. Uriah was not going home. He was not going to be happy with the entire army camped out there on the countryside. So instead, he just stayed right there at David's palace with his servants. Oftentimes, as good as our plan seems, it doesn't work out, does it? That's why we have to do God's plan, not our plan. There are consequences to our sins, and regardless of who we are, it didn't matter who King David was. 
He's going to have to face it at some point. The plan didn't work. So David had plan B. But look at Numbers 32.23. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure, what? Your sin will find you out. That's, God knows what we've done, and many times it will be found out, that's for sure. Verse 12, David said unto Uriah, Tarry here today also and, and tomorrow, and I will let thee depart. So Uriah rode into Jerusalem that day and the morrow, abode there. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. Look at what he did. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. Made him drunk and thought, that'll do it. But even then, it didn't happen. So what happens many times? We change the conditions. David's first plan didn't work, so he decided to up his game. He decided to have him stay another day, eat, drink, get him drunk. He'll go down, sleep with his wife, but he didn't do it. It's amazing people will do anything sometimes to get you to do things out of your character. That's what we have to watch out for. Here we are trying to walk the Christian walk and do the right thing, and somebody will come along and try to get you out of that way that you're traveling and get you on the wrong path. I had somebody try to get me on the wrong path this week. You know good and well I've been trying to cut back on food and my sugar, and I went to work at a person's house and a guy come around the corner, how about some homemade fudge? I said, come on now. I said, as much as I like fudge, I said, no, I can't have it. I won't do it. You know, people do try to change you many times. We need to be sober. We need to be in control. Uriah could not turn down David's food and drink. You know why? Not just anyone could dine with the king. Once again, when the king says, hey, I got some food and drink for you, you do it. And even while being drunk, he didn't go home. You know what First Peter tells us, don't you? 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Do we think every day when we wake up, hey, the devil's, he's walking around. He's busy. He's going to be trying to trip me up. We need to be careful. Man, time's getting away from us. Verse 14, It came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. The very letter that was going to send Uriah to the forefront of the battle, Uriah had to carry it. Isn't that? Amazing. And he wrote the letter saying, Sit ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. That means put him out there and then you pull back. Let him catch the blunt of it. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto the place where he knew 
that valiant men were. And the men of that city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Your motive, what was David's motive? David's refusal to repent of adultery opened the door for him to commit another sin. You see, that's what happens if we let unconfessed sins continue in our life. It's going to build on that to something else. Well, you know, I got by with that. So let's just keep on down this road and everything's all right. Knowing his sin would be made known, David arranged to have this brave number one man for him, the loyal soldier that he had killed. In the morning after his last plan had failed, David sent a letter to have Uriah killed and Uriah delivered his own death letter. Uriah was to be placed on the front lines where the fighting was the worst and Joab knew that Uriah would not retreat. He wouldn't fall back. He was going to fight his hardest. That's who he was. So what was David's motive? He did not want anyone to know what he had done. Why? It had ruined his reputation. He also didn't want to lose his position, his power, his possessions. He's thinking about all of those things that he waited so long to be king. Now he's got it. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to go backwards. But he's going backwards fast, isn't he? Well, we're going to have to stop here tonight. But we'll continue on in this chapter next time and see what happens and learn some more great lessons about King David and his wrong turns that he made. Let's stay, let's stay on the straight and narrow. Amen? Let's stay in the Word. Let's stay close to God as we can because none of us are above any of that. But I'm glad that the Lord's on our side and He's able to help us. Amen? Amen. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.